I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I love the book, The Power Broker, the epic biography of former New York City planner Robert Moses. So I'm breaking it down 100 pages at a time and talking to special guests about why this book matters, like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I actually think if it wasn't for Robert Moses, I probably wouldn't have run for Congress. Listen to 99% Invisible's breakdown of The Power Broker every month on the 99% Invisible podcast feed. Just watch me love myself That's all I want Got what I want That's all I want I'm not sorry I'm Claire Fallon And I'm Emma Gray And this is Love to See It, an obsessively detailed recap podcast about reality dating shows like The Bachelor and other pop culture that makes us laugh, cry, and curse the patriarchy. We can't live with these shows and we can't live without them, but we can break down every juicy moment and unpack all the weird messages these shows send us about love, sex, and dating. Welcome to Love to See It, a podcast about how important it is to make it in baseball and also how hot Jessica Biel is in a bikini. In this week's installment of our Summer Lovin' series, we're re-watching a movie that some might call classic and others might call unwatchable. It's <laughs> 2001's Freddie Prince Jr. flick, Summer Catch. Yeah, having watched this now, I'm like, would anyone call it classic? Yeah. I'm leaning more unwatchable. I, I agree. I was going to say, um, <laughs> who that sum is generous. It's classic in the sense that it's 20 years old. We're going to be joined shortly by romance writer and elite daily editor Hannah Orenstein to discuss this movie, which is truly just a monument to the various bigotries of the aughts, the fat phobia, the misogyny, the homophobia. Uh, but first, we have to take a moment because there has been some shocking Bachelor Nation news, and we just, we couldn't wait until we have a chance to do a gossip episode to discuss. Yeah, I mean, this is our summer lovin' series, but I feel like this Bachelor news break is like, anti-summer lovin'. It's like love is dead this summer. Yeah, it is it is the summer of love being over. <laughs> um, it's really sad. Uh, yeah. On June 17th, uh, Michelle Young, um, the most recent Bachelorette, um, and her fiancé Nate announced that they had parted ways. And they each posted messages on Instagram story um, in response to it seems like to rumors that have been swirling of their split, asking for space and emphasizing that their relationship and their love was very real and they still care for each other. Michelle wrote, quote, I'm struggling to say that Nate and I will be going our separate ways, but I stand with him in knowing the heaviness that is present in both our hearts as this relationship has been very real for us. She also said that she is, quote, deeply hurting and will need time and space to work through this heartbreak. I admit when I saw this news initially on Instagram, because I was following both of them, because I really like them. Yeah. uh, I was so bummed. Like, look, these are real people. They're young people. 
people get in relationships and then they break up like all the time, even if they loved each other, even if there's a lot of good there. Um, and we are talking about people in extremely high pressure and public relationships. And that is extra, extra hard, I think, to, to make work. But like, yeah. they were just so cute. And I just want I Michelle to be happy. It almost is like more sad to me when I thought that it might not work out, but I really wanted it to work out, you know, because there was a part of me when she picked Nate that was like, he's young, he's never been in love before. Like, this is a really high pressure public way to have your first serious relationship. And, you know, is it really going to be the last one for him? But I didn't, you know, it's like, I, he seems so great and like Michelle's great. And I just didn't want to, my instinct to be right, you know? And maybe it wasn't right, but in the sense of like why it ended. But um, I like invested more almost because I wasn't sure if it was going to work out. I really was pulling for it to work out. And it's, it sucks. I'm sure it's really heartbreaking for both of them. They really had like made plans to like, do all this stuff to like move in together and like, you know, it's, they, they, it seemed like they really were making a go of it and it's hard. It's really hard. Um, and then just three days later on June 20th in, in, I will say kind of signature chaotic <laughs> Katie Thurston form. Katie was of course the bachelorette before Michelle, right before Michelle. Um, she posted on her Instagram stories, just quote, statement, no, we aren't together. Um, yeah. And this caused a lot of confusion because people, like, kind of assumed that she was talking about her relationship with John Hersey, who was, of course, um, a week two guy on her season. They got together after after filming her season. Um, but there was no further context, and, like, it didn't even say his name. And I personally yeah. hadn't seen rumors. It was really framed as if it was a response to, like, everyone talking about it. And while there may have been some rumors, there was nothing to the degree that you would be able to release a statement like this without any context and have it be clear what was happening. Like, I saw this, uh, like, without reading any gossip around it and was just like, oh, this is like a joke about the teacup pig that she was snuggling in her previous Instagram story. And didn't think anything of it until I started seeing Bachelor gossip accounts posting it. And even then, I was like, this doesn't seem like a detailed enough statement that it's clear to me that she has actually confirmed a breakup with John. But then John did post hours later an Instagram story confirming that it was the two of them that she was referring to. Yeah, John posted, I think, a more traditional statement, <laughs> I'd say. He said... I love being able to share special moments with you all, the funny ones, the happy ones, the outrageous, embarrassing, and heartfelt ones. But I don't know if it will ever get easier to share the sad ones. As Katie stated earlier, we are no longer dating. This decision was not made lightly, and it was obviously not an easy one to make. And bummer. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. it sucks, especially because the announcement of their relationship was really splashy. So public and splashy. It's like... It, I mean, it just always sucks to see a yeah. public relationship end. I just imagine that it's it opens a public figure up to so much scrutiny during a really vulnerable time. And it's just like, I feel for anyone going through that. Yeah, it it's really <laughs> it's really sad. Again, I 
Katie hasn't always been my favorite bachelorette, but she and John were friends after the and show. They were, cute. And they were really cute. They together. seem to have a really genuine relationship and bond. And uh, that's something I do kind of love is like, oh, after the show, we became friends and then we fell in love. It's the kind of it's outside of the bachelor formula in a way that I find appealing. And same. Um, I'm sad for them. And also, I'm just like, Katie, please <laughs> just give us a clear statement so we know what's <laughs> going on. Like, well, I don't know what that statement was. Like, why why it was framed that way? Like, if she saw, like, I didn't see any news stories that were like, they've broken up or anything that it might seem to be responding to. But you're, you, you, hours that I spent, like, trying to, like, refreshing Instagram to find more content. Claire and I were really having, like, a whole <laughs> back and forth, being like, is, what, is this referring, okay? Yeah. I'm confused, but yes, um, that is, unfortunately. Yeah, so. What it is. So I just hope that, you know, all four of these people are doing okay and have support around them and, you know, just don't kick people when they're down let let them heal and um you know we can all get ready to move on to a whole new crop of potential love stories a whole new crop of people to emotionally abuse and surveil yeah (laughs) yeah no um i i hope they're doing okay and uh, yeah it always makes me sad but sometimes a breakup is the right thing and so we wish them all like more more happiness in the future Um, Also, before we dive into the recap, we wanted to remind you all that we are doing a live show with Moment House on July 10th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific. Guys, this is going to be such a fun show. We went to another Moment House podcast show to check it out, and it is, like, so intimate and cute, and there's, like, a whole chat function, so you can chat with each other, um, and we'll be monitoring the chat, and, like, It's really just going to be an intimate setting. We'll be broadcasting live from our couch. It'll be nice and homey. We'll have wine. And we are going to be breaking down a truly iconic episode. The first ever Two Bachelorette premiere in which Caitlin and Britt ended up facing off in 2015 for the role of Bachelorette. It is insane. There's so much, like, casual misogyny. There are so many Bachelor tropes in there, like— It is so much fun to look back on this kind of episode with a little bit of distance. Yeah. And if you stick around for the after party, we will be looking back on our own first crack at recapping this episode seven years ago and like lovingly snarking on ourselves. This is basically a seven-year anniversary party for us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a milestone. So tickets are at momenthouse.com slash love to see it. And we hope to see you all there. And now we're joined by today's wonderful guest, Hannah Orenstein. Hannah is the deputy editor of Dating at Elite Daily and the author of four delightful rom-coms, most recently Meant to Be Mine, which just came out this month. So congratulations. Hannah, thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. We're so excited to have a bona fide rom-com expert in our midst. You really come at this from all angles. So you are like the perfect guest to discuss Summer Catch, which is, wow. <laughs> what, a, what a wild early aughts ride. I have a lot of thoughts. I'm really excited to dig right in. <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to start by asking Hannah and Emma, when did you first see Summer Catch? Hannah, let's start with you. Uh, two nights ago. That was your first time? Yes. Wow. 
Wow. So why did you why did you choose that movie? So I chose it because I love Ellen Hildebrand's books. They're all set on Nantucket or like one in Martha's Vineyard. And I figured this would be like a fun Cape Cod rom-com in that same vein. And what I discovered is that that was not the case. <laughs> Ellen is like a critically acclaimed novelist. There's like lush, gorgeous settings and like incredible prose. And I mean, just heart-wrenching plot lines. And this was um, different. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very gentle way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, Emma, when did you first see it? I saw Summer Catch in theaters, August 2001. Wow. And I distinctly remember going to the movies because, like, you couldn't just stream things. You would, like, go to the movies (laughs) and be like, well, this is what's playing that seems in the vein of things that I would watch. And, like... Traditionally, there was always sort of in August, that like end of summer, all the blockbusters are over. It's like that end of summer movie slump. And mm-hmm. like this was the rom-com that was playing. <laughs> and I remember even at the time being like, that wasn't great. <laughs> it's true. Going but to I, the, I really loved Freddie Prince Jr. Going so. to the movies really was like that moment on Netflix when you search for a movie and it's not available. And they're like, here are some titles similar to that. And you're like, yes. well, okay. <laughs> like, I guess one of these will have to do. That was going to the movies uh, in the aughts. Um, I thought that I had never seen it before, but a lot of it felt so familiar as I watched this past week that maybe I have seen it before. Unclear. I mean... I feel like this, it would not be surprising to me if you had, like, seen this during a sleepover or something, Claire. Like, this, I mean, Freddie Prince Jr. was, like, cemented as a teen movie, like, leading man after She's All That. And this was two years later. So I feel like this was a movie that people our age probably just watched. Yeah. Even if it was bad. Yeah, that's probably true. I might have, like, seen it on Netflix in my 20s when I was, like, trying to relive (laughs) my youth. Uh, as a more pop culture savvy person. Um, but let's get into the main plot recap. I I almost like I'm struggling to condense the plot because all the details are so insane that I don't want to skip any of the small details. Yeah, I think <laughs> this might I think be a long is, recap. I feel like this is um, a movie that has perhaps in some ways a less rich history than the previous two weeks yeah. the, of movies that we've covered. And really, like, the hilarity and the disturbing shit is in the detail. Yeah. So we we're, we can go a little bit more. Yeah. Go a little bit more detailed, I think. I did leave out of the run of, of the recap a couple of disturbing romantic B-plots. We are going to get into those, I promise. But I want to focus more on Ryan and Tenley and the game of baseball, which is the love triangle at the heart of this movie. Um, so... As you mentioned, Hannah, this movie is set in Cape Cod, classic summer location. And we open with Freddie Prince Jr. mowing a baseball diamond on a riding mower. And he's like, Cape Cod, what does it mean to you? Beaches? Lobster? Well, I grew up here. And to me, it means baseball. And this summer, he is finally going to get to play in the famous Cape Cod Summer League, which is where college kids, college players come to play amateur ball in the summer and impress scouts, and in some cases get, like, sexually preyed on by host moms. Uh, Just all the different experiences that go into just a normal uh, coming of age. 
He's going to be pitching for his hometown team, the Chatham A's. And he is a promising lefty pitcher. Um, But this is his last shot. There's some murky thing where he got in a fight on a college team because of his mom being dead or something. Like, it was a little confusing to me. They don't really go into detail. (laughs) Uh, There there are a lot of details in this movie. And for some reason, like, that entire emotional core backstory is just, like, really glazed over. Like, you know, he went to college. And then he was playing on this uh, other team, another college team. And he got kicked out. But, like, and, and you his know, mom is dead. his mom's dead. Yeah. And his mom is dead. That's all you need to know. Yeah. It's all like a stew of backstory. <laughs> so to prepare for his first team meeting, he decides to leave nothing to chance. Um, to make sure that his first team meeting goes well, he's like, I'm going to sleep on the baseball field overnight. Um, what did you guys think about this decision? He seems very... Um if I'm going to be polite, very in tune with nature. He was communing <laughs> with the great outdoors. Maybe that was going to energize him. That's really all I can say nicely. It was like, does it, I think the idea is that he's not going to like accidentally get drunk and sleep with someone if he's literally on the field. But of course that makes him very easy to find, you know? He's just out there, just, you know, open to the, the whims yeah. of his friends, including Brittany Murphy, which was a real bright spot for me. Yeah. I forgot that Brittany Murphy was in this movie. And I mean, her character is a caricature, like, like all the the female characters in this movie, but I did love seeing her because she's delightful. She's one of just like a host of like sexually tantalizing and aggressive women who are maybe going to distract you from your baseball. And you just have to be careful because women with boobs are out there and they don't want you to be in good form for, for pitching practice tomorrow. No, they want to put beers between their legs and just, <laughs> you know, feed them directly to you. And that's sexy. She was this- the most charming, though. Of Um, all the, like, sexually tantalizing women who can tempt you into failing at baseball, I think she was by far the funniest, like, that had the most personality, like, A-plus job. I think— Oh, yeah. It was like, we could just have a whole movie about Dee Dee. Like, I want to know, what is her life? Where did she learn the beer trick? (laughs) I mean, I would like to know. I'm not so dexterous. (laughs) All of his friends have shown up on the field to— show their pride in him for making this team by getting him wasted the night before his first team meeting. And also, in the form of Didi, seduce him into having, like, public sex on the pitcher's mound in front of, like, all of their friends, including, by the way, we later find out her brother, (laughs) whose main, like, personality is like, I love Ryan and I love introducing my hot sister Didi to men that she's gonna bone and exchange underwear (laughs) with. So they, like, do it on the pitcher's mound, and then she steals his underwear, and he ends up with her orange thong. She's like, I just love stealing men's underwear because it's more comfortable. Because this was the era of women's underwear being, as a rule, super uncomfortable. Like, did you see that? It was like a scrunchy faux satin orange thong. (laughs) Yeah, it was, like, almost, like, verging on, like, a satin or, like, a latex. Like, it was a shiny material. That was made of straight polyester. Yeah, I was laughing so hard. Yes. Because this really was the era of, like, thongs are mandatory. (laughs) And no, they're not going to be, like, 
even like a nice, comfortable lace. They are going to stick right into you on all sides, but you must wear them. Yeah. Because you're a woman. Yeah. It's, it really was like, it looked like Infection City. I was like, I can't believe people used to wear this. <laughs> and now they're all sharing. The they're That's sharing. very unsanitary. <laughs> um, so he ends up with her thong, and in the morning, this feels less cute because he oversleeps on the field. Dee Dee abandons him there with all of her clothes and wears his for reasons. And he has to dash into the team meeting late, wearing an orange thong, holding Dee Dee's skirt in front of his junk. And, you know, this is humiliating because girl clothes, yuck, you know, that's not a good look. And this sets off uh, a sort of long thread of Ryan being mocked by the men in his life for having held a skirt in his hand. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of gender anxiety in this movie. So much gender anxiety. This is particularly funny because it's like, wow, you know, when you like have sex with a woman and in like a real straight way, but then you end up holding a skirt and suddenly it's like, oh, like that's feels like, is that gay maybe? Like it was just so bizarre and like extremely gross. And so that... <laughs> That is one of the big, uh, like, early aughts, like, bigotries that is very heavily represented in the comedy of this movie. It's like, wouldn't it be shocking and horrible if if he wore women's clothes? But he gets through the team meeting. The coach is like, I'm going to give you one more chance because of your mom being dead. And I'm really sorry about that. But you still have to stop getting in fights and showing up with a skirt. And... <laughs> He has another another barrier, another obstacle, which is that he still has a day job because his dad owns a landscaping business and he mows lawns in between practice. And what do you know, later that day, he's just mow- mowing a lawn on his riding mower when he's so distracted by a hot, sexy, dripping Jessica Beale who has emerged from a mansion's pool that he mows over a flower bed and a birdhouse with his riding mower. Yeah, I was like, how did they not get fired after this? I know, they're like, you do like, such when- good work. You've only mowed over <laughs> half of our flower beds this month. We really appreciate that. They just really are like, ah, oh, whatever, that's fine. I'm like, that's the whole job. Yeah, that's the main part of the job is not also mowing over the flower beds. <laughs> it's a big part of it. Um, but this is, this is the meet cute of the episode. This is a classic, again, like, 2001 type meet cute where it's just like look at that hottie in a bikini man ogling (laughs) lady who's out of his reach because she's rich yeah and he is not it is that like classic class tensions Mm. setup boy from wrong side of the tracks who's also a baseball star and waspy beautiful hottie yeah it's like a music video like um, uh, for, for like, a pop-punk song or something, where he's like, I could never get a girl like that, but, like, look at her. Um, that's kind of the vibe of, of this of this movie. Hannah, what was your feeling on, on the meet-cute, as someone who writes meet-cutes? Well, I couldn't get past her name. Her name is <laughs> Tenley Parrish. Um, that did feel actually very Ellen to me, because her characters' names are always, like, Bixby or something like that. Like <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, love, but insane. And um, no, I mean, she was walking really slowly. The meet cute happened over like 45 seconds, which is a really <laughs> long true. time to be 
parading in a dripping wet bikini across a very large lawn because it's a mansion. It's huge. Um, but he, I mean, it, it was light on character development. <laughs> He's just sort of watching her. She isn't saying anything. Mm. Um, I know what that more do you do, need? Right. No, just, just the naked walking around dripping water. Of course. Um, she did look very good, but no, I mean, it set them up nicely to have an actual conversation later on. Yes. This is the second meet cute where they are at a local public house, a local watering hole. Ryan ditches his townie friends to try to bond with his new teammates on the Chathamays. And it doesn't go well because the hotshot pitcher he's competing with, who just turned down a $2 million contract from, like, some... The Dodgers. From the Dodgers, makes fun of him for having had a skirt in his hand, which, again, like masculinity deeply compromised humiliating so he he's like i'm just gonna hang out with billy brubaker the catcher played by matthew lillard notably he played uh freddie prince jr's romantic rival in she's all that that's right in a hilarious spoof of a real world reality tv star but now they're friends and now they're best friends wingmanning for each other and, and both very anxious about their masculinity. So anxious. I would say Matthew Lillard is, Matthew Lillard's character is responsible for like 90% of the most horrifying dialogue in this movie. Uh, he and Billy chat up two college chicks, including, what do you know, one Tenley Parrish, which you're right. It is like the waspiest name I've ever heard, perhaps in my entire life. And she's intrigued by him, even, dare I say, especially after Dee Dee, who is waitressing at this uh, establishment, stops by the table to demand her orange underwears back. <laughs> They're all having so much fun with the Boston area accents. <laughs> and none of them are being done successfully. <laughs> I grew up in Boston, and I, I, it was very exciting to me to sit through all of that. Um, <laughs> Beer suddenly had like seven syllables drawn out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Brittany Murphy's accent was, I think, my favorite. Oh, yeah. Because it sounded very similar to the accent she used in Clueless. She's just like optimized one regional ish sounding accent that's yeah. super charming. And she's like, I'm just going with that. I'm just going to go People with People like it. it when I do that. He's like, there was no budget here for a voice coach. So we're just going to like <laughs> stick with what we got. And she's like, so you're looking very uncomfortable. So why don't you just give me my orange underwears back? See, now I just did like 17 different accents. And Ryan is like, I can't. Which like, of course he can't. Why would he have brought them in his pocket? Like, why would she expect them back right then? But of course he has to say the very charming thing that wins Tenley's heart. I can't because I'm still wearing them. Whew. What a guy. I think this is actually the moment that comes closest to being like, maybe Ryan is is handsome and charming because he's secure enough in his masculinity to be like, I'm wearing an orange thong and I'm still great. Honestly, the dedication to having such an uncomfortable thing, like just lodged up your ass, like, yeah. you know, respect. Yeah, while you're, while you're mowing a lawn, like you're wearing polyester satin between yeah, the cheeks while you're sitting on a riding mower. Absolutely not. Um, and so Tenley is like, who is this? He like plays for the Chatham A's 
And I'm not really into that because I'm like a swimmer and like baseball's too hot, but like sports are great. And also you wear women's underwear. Like, I don't know. I'm really feeling this guy. And so she flirts with him a little bit. And then Billy Brubaker relays that the two gals want to meet up for an ice cream double date the next night. And they walk and talk and have sort of the classic rom-com conversation where they both reveal their hopes and dreams to each other. He learns that her dad wants her to go to San Francisco to work under her uncle's investment firm, but she, she wants to be an architect. Again, this is about as much explanation and character development as we get about Tenley. Her dad wants her to work in an investment firm, but she wants to be an architect. Why? Who can say? It's just, you know. It's about seeing the beauty in things. seeing the beauty in things. Oh, I wrote down that quote. Like, I fully (laughs) paused it. I had to take notes specifically on this line. Quote, the greatest tool for an architect is their eyes. Dramatic pause. You have beautiful eyes. Incredible quote because they are not related to each other in any way. It's like, it's not like the greatest tool for an architect is having beautiful eyes. (laughs) I love that the writers were just like, eyes, we're going to use this word twice. It's going to work. Well, it's so transparently a line that they have to have Freddie Prince Jr. call it out and then be like, is that a line? And she's like, yes, like maybe. And did it work? And he's like, maybe. And then she like wipes ice cream off of his mouth. It's a little bit of gender role reversal, right? Like she's using the line, like she's wiping the ice cream off of the trembling lip, sensually, you know? I, I this mean, is a really progressive movie, movie. I was going to say, this time. movie is actually transgressive. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a really subversive reading of this movie. Um, yeah, this is kind of the most we get into their actual connection as a couple. Um, I don't know. I Personally, I would need more. I would need this to be a little bit more built out. But the problem with this movie as a rom-com is that they spend a lot of time on the baseball I think that they were really trying to optimize this as, like, a date night movie. They're like, guys, it's a baseball movie. Ladies, it's a rom-com. But I don't know if it works super well on either level. Like, I don't see, like, my no. husband being like, yeah, I really want to watch Summer Catch, a great baseball movie. And Yeah, you're like, this for is, me, this is not no the best field rom-com. of dreams. No. <laughs> and it's no Bull Durham, which is, no. like, the classic it's- baseball meets rom-com movie that everyone should want to watch. Um, Although it does reference Bull Durham extensively. (laughs) We'll discuss that (laughs) later. Um, On the baseball field, things are not going so great for for young Ryan. The starting pitcher who was offered $2 million by the Dodgers is starting every game. He's absolutely killing it. He's also got really cool hair, peroxide blonde, and sort of like a dramatic, upswept, curlicue style. So like, Next to him, Ryan is pretty much chopped liver. Meanwhile, his family, I would describe as unsupportive. Um, their way of, like, showing Ryan that they really have his back is to keep being like, remember, remember to keep mowing those lawns. And, like, when are you going to fail just like I did, Ryan? When are you going to blow it? And that's kind of the tough love that they show Ryan is to constantly... They're just preparing him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Um, So he's having, like, kind of a rough time, but at least he is falling in love with Tenley, who is really just, like, fascinated by by him. She sees him almost get into a bar fight and 
catches him on the way out after he's, like, thrown out of the bar by his brother. She's like, hey, Ryan, like, you look cute. Like, I like your, I like your baseball uniform. This actually, this is when I started to be like, is Jessica Biel a bad actress? Because this scene is Jessica Biel giving the most, like, unconvincing line reading of a nervous girl trying to talk a guy up that I have seen outside of maybe a Hallmark movie. What did you guys think of this scene? She's like, oh, I caught your game. Like, I like the pinstripes. They're flattering. They make you look thin. Not that you're fat. I like the whole outfit. I mean, uniform. It's cute. The problem is it's completely hard to to determine what is making this bad because, like, (laughs) there's no build up. There's no character development. Tenley is like a completely flat character who just like says lines and exists only for Ryan's development. And development I use lightly because he's not really <laughs> developed either. So it's like hard to say, is this a Jessica Beale problem? Is this a script problem? Is this both? Maybe both. It's both. I mean, I guess she is at this point used to delivering, like, the over-dramatized Seventh Heaven type after-school special lines, oh, so. Right. Yeah. I do think you're right that is is, in part, at least a script problem, because, like, why is she nervous? Like, she's hot, she's rich, he's clearly into her. Right, they've already made a connection, they've already opened up to each other. Yeah. Hannah, what do you think? thrown out of a bar. I mean, his day is not going to get any worse. <laughs> yeah. um, I felt like that scene that like snippet of pinstripe flattering whatever i was like oh like we're in cosmo in 2001 except yes, cosmo yep. 2001 would be written better so <laughs> yep. i don't know it was also the beginning or maybe the second third fourth i don't know um several mentions of just like really gross fat phobia that sort of yeah we will the entire we have movie. a whole whole we'll bunch of notes on that and we will get into that as a it is major theme of this film a little yeah, bit the, later the, because the, it is disturbing. The themes are gender anxiety and fat phobia. <laughs> Those are the themes of this movie. And baseball. And baseball. Um, yeah, uh, it it was it was the kind of moment where you're just like, they were like, what do girls talk about? And they're like, here's a Cosmo. They talk about stripes. stripes. And whether they make you look fat. The vertical ones, good. Make you look thin. Horizontal, yes. bad. All right, let's work that into the script. Um, and so their relationship just uh, develops into sort of hanging out, making out, and just being like, follow your dreams, you know? Like, you should follow your dreams. I'm not going to follow my dreams because that's hard, but you should definitely follow yours. And then they make out. Um, they swim in the pool together on a rainy night at her summer house, and her dad calls the cops. And the way that they handle this is she's just like, you got to get out of here. The cops are going to beat you up. What was going on in this scene? I was so confused. Like, the dad is, like, in with the police, like, buddies, (laughs) rich buddies, corrupt. I don't know. I mean, I could see that. It wasn't really explored. I literally watched this multiple times and was like, wait, why are the cops, like, what's happening? Why can't you just be like, dad, it's me, your daughter in the pool? Yeah, I'm so confused. (laughs) They're trying to make it into a real, like, Romeo and Juliet thing, um, but they haven't quite done the work yet. To establish that. They get into <laughs> they it They never later. do the work. <laughs> but his dad isn't really on board either because uh, Ryan's dad thinks that Tenley is a, quote, Shaw Road princess. Uh, you know those Shaw Road princesses. 
And, a classic type. And yeah, he's like, she's not going to be the girl for you. Like, you're going to get hurt. And her dad, naturally, in some very subtle exposition, is like, the kid who cuts the lawn is too rough around the edges for you. <laughs> you should marry your college boyfriend who wears polo shirts and plays golf with me. So Mr. Parrish invites Tenley's boyfriend, who she is on a break with for the summer, up to the Cape for a game of golf. And Tenley is mortified. She's like, I told you we're taking some time apart. And he's like, I like playing golf with him. And she's like, so you marry him, Dad, because I'm not ready to. I was like, again, no buildup to this line. They weren't talking about marriage. Like, it was just the whole thing. Yeah. Was like, how did we get, that's not, that's not how people speak to each other. That's not how the conversation would go. Every conversation between Tenley and her dad is just like disconnected lines that don't make any sense. It's just very cliched. I mean, it's like every, every single like rich girl, mean dad. Like it's just sort of word salad pulled from all of those. Yeah. He's, her dad is like a parody of an evil rich dad in a, in a teen romance. Um, but things are going a little better for Ryan on the baseball field. And things are, as far as he knows, still going well with Tenley. On the on the field, he's starting to get some playing time, but his performances are still uneven. You know, he keeps blowing it. And if you're blowing it in the Cape Cod Summer League, like, how are you going to do in the big leagues? You know, he's not ready. His dad and brother are handling it really well by, like, mocking him whenever a game goes badly. Just a really supportive family structure. <laughs> There's an incredible scene where Ryan, like, is talking to his brother, and his brother is like, oh, you're pitching tonight? Like, I just want to make sure to be there in the inning when you self-destruct. And Ryan's like, what the fuck? Like, why are you always, like, why aren't you behind me? Like, why are you always, like, dragging me down? And his brother's like, I am behind you. That's why I say these horrible, fucked-up things to you, because I believe in you so much, Ryan. You got the right stuff. And like, you're the one who doesn't believe in you, Ryan. I was like, okay. And you're like, wow, this is really a great example of the way that masculinity um, is very broken and yeah. the way that men are socialized between generations. You're just like, wow. Yeah. If you grew, if you think that like verbally berating someone you love is the best way to show that you support them, like we, like we just have so many issues. Well, I was just thinking like, okay, so he's berating his baseball skills, but his lawn mowing skills are much worse. He clipped off the entire flower bed. They're not worried about that. As long as the lawns get mowed, even if you destroy them, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, I have to say that <laughs> there's less room for error in lawn mowing in a certain sense. It's like, you know, you can't just be like, oh, I had a bad inning out there. If you mow <laughs> over someone's flower bed, they don't want you to mow their lawn anymore. Like, you kind of have to to step up to the plate there. Um, I don't think Ryan's got what it takes. Uh, so the good news is there's one scout uh, played by Dr. Cox from Scrubs wearing suspenders instead of a lab coat um, who really believes in him. And... For no like, discernible reason. He's just like that kid. This is like the yeah. this is the pre-Moneyball era. This is like the era that Moneyball was like a reaction against, which was just like some fucking guy with a mustache out there being like, I don't know. I just like I like the look I of him out there. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's got the right stuff. Um, and so, you know, 
things are things are it's it's looking like this could be a good summer for Ryan if he just like keeps his shit together. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back to see how that goes for him. Can you keep up? I like love it. Okay, so you got engaged. Congrats. Now you may be wondering what comes next. If you're planning a wedding, the first thing you need to know about is Zola. With Zola, you can plan your entire wedding in one convenient place. From the day you get engaged and search for the venue to the day you send out your save the dates, make your registry, and even taste your cake. Zola has literally everything you need to make the whole process super easy and actually even enjoyable. There's even a five-star app that helps you plan on the go or, you know, from your couch, which is certainly how, uh, if I was planning a wedding, I would definitely want to do it as loungily as possible. <laughs> so important. I also just know myself. I I know that planning any kind of event, like even a birthday party, can get very stressful. And so it's been really cool to see friends use Zola. It really seems to make everything a lot less stressful. And as a frequent wedding attender. I love to be able to hop on that Zola registry and just purchase a gift. Easy peasy. I know I've done it. I won't forget. Thank you, Zola. Yeah, everything's all in the same place. It's perfect. Start planning at Zola.com. That's Z-O-L-A.com. Springtime vibes are in the air. And when you bring in some of the beautiful flowers that are blooming, you probably want to smell the flowers, not the litter box. But thanks to Pretty Litter, you'll be able to smell those spring flowers all you want. Nothing beats Pretty Litter's ability to instantly trap odors. It's ultra absorbent, it's lightweight, low dust, and one six-pound bag works for up to a month. Pretty Litter's crystals change color to indicate early signs of potential illnesses in your cat. And if all of that wasn't enough, Pretty Litter ships free right to your door. You'll never run out, you won't have huge kitty litter bags taking up space, and even better, you won't have to lug those huge tubs from the store to your car or the subway and into your house. Our producer, Talon, has been using Pretty Litter and he just raves about how great it is, how easy it is to scoop, how much better it smells. I mean, the health monitor aspect gives so much peace of mind. He's a big fan and we know that you will be too. Go to prettylitter.com slash LTSI to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. That's prettylitter.com slash LTSI to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. prettylitter.com slash LTSI. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Oh, I'm so happy the weather is finally turning. If you, like me, have been wanting to update your wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune, then Quince is for you. You can build up a lineup of timeless pieces that will keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year. Like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings right on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, as well as premium fabrics and finishes. I love Quince for all these staples. I mean, linen is my favorite summer fabric. They have so many amazing linen staples. I also found my new go-to like summer 
running around to the playground in the coffee shop bag. It's the pebbled Italian leather front sling bag. I can just fit a wallet and my phone and my AirPods in it, maybe some lip balm. Absolutely perfect. I'm so obsessed with it. And the price was exactly what I wanted to. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash LTSI for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI. And we're back just in time for a big romantic obstacle. Oh, you knew it was coming. You know it was coming. Things cannot be going too smoothly for these star-crossed lovers who are attempting to be together across class lines. Yeah. No. The man in the polo shirt has to show up and <laughs> fuck things up. There's all, It's always a guy in a polo shirt, you know? A woman never wants to date in a, a guy in a polo shirt, but she like kind of has to because her daddy wants her to. Yeah, I feel like this is like the classic um, sort of where we in, where we are in the aughts as like a reaction to all of like the villains in like eighties movies. Yeah, it's like the the polo shirted, slightly preppy early aughts man is like the offshoot of that guy in the eighties. I mean, is this where we're getting into like the early Abercrombie backlash, or is it too early for that even? I think this is still, like, peak Abercrombie. Yeah. No, you're right. It's, yeah. it's the 80s. It's the 80s uh, but it is prepster probably, backlash. But it is probably still the beginning of when we maybe— I think it was, like, maybe a year or so later that that Spider-Man movie comes out yeah. where the villain is is wearing—the high school bully is wearing Abercrombie. I think that was, like, yeah. maybe 2002. So we're getting close to that. No, the Abercrombie the backlash would be Ryan Dunn, but also Rich— and where's Abercrombie? <laughs> and instead, he's like, he's the good guy. So Ryan shows up at Tenley's house for reassurance after his big fight with his brother. And he's like, male reassurance has proved wanting. So it's time to go to a woman who is my emotional caretaker, this girl I started dating a month ago. And what do you know? Her boyfriend, Chris, is there in his polo shirt. And Ryan is humiliated. His father is like, what are you doing here, Ryan? Is it about the lawns? And Tenley chases Ryan out of the house and admits that she hasn't told her father about the fact that she is with Ryan. And Ryan's like, yeah, and you didn't tell me about Chris. And Tenley says, well, I told Chris I needed a break this summer. I'm under so much pressure. Everyone wants something from me. I might have to have a job and, like, also a boyfriend. And, like, I just wanted the summer to do nothing. And Ryan says, and I'm the nothing you picked. They were like this here. This Oof. is the emotional core. Oof. Nailed it, Freddie Prince <laughs> Jr. This, I have to admit, this moment, while incredibly cliché, hits on, like, my exact rom-com button, where that is the exact kind of scene between two lead characters that just, like, does it for me. I'm I'm just like, oh, my God, he feels like she thinks he's nothing. And, like, (laughs) she doesn't even know how this happened. She loves him so much, but she doesn't know how to express it. It's not... Also, I'm, like, gonna say, I'm on Ryan's team here. Like, of course. If you're just, like, on a break with your boyfriend... For the summer. probably... Tell your new boyfriend about that? Like, I don't know. 
I don't know if we really had discussions about like ethical (laughs) non-monogamy. No, no, we weren't there. (laughs) No, I don't think that was a thing yet. And yeah, it's, it's not a, not a good moment for Tenley. Also really highlighting like to be like 22 and to just take the summer off from everything and just spend the whole summer just like at your family's like beach house because you feel like a little bit too pressured to take a really lucrative job. It's just like, uh, what a world, what a problem to have. It's hard for her. Her dad (laughs) set her up with a very high paying job at an investment firm in a major urban city. Like it's hard for her. And now she's not really getting to relax because she might have to think about her romantic relationships and she really had blocked out the whole three months just for swimming <laughs> and that's not working out so it must be really difficult for Tenley. I really wish the people listening could see the video right now because your like faux sympathetic faces are so funny <laughs> it really just adds a lot to this experience so if you're listening just imagine imagine the effort it takes for them to like pretend to be sad and like sort of semi-scowling. It's great. <laughs> wow. Thank, Thank you, you, Hannah, for that recognition. Um, we do this work without anyone even seeing it. It's like yeah. that invisible labor that women take on. That's so true. Um, um, unless, except for Tenley. Tenley takes on no labor. <laughs> yeah. Not well, even the labor the of being summer. Like, not even the labor of being like, I do have a boyfriend that I'm on a break with. <laughs> that is like 15 <laughs> words. It's too many. Um, so Brian goes into his big game Oh, yeah, there's a big game that he's pitching in. Sorry, skipped over that. By the way. He goes into it in a bad headspace, obviously. He blows the game, and now he's stuck in the bullpen for the rest of the season, which apparently means he's not going to be playing uh, baseball. Dream dead. It's over. There's going to be no big check. And afterwards, he gets together with his townie friends, who he suddenly needs because no one else likes him anymore. And... He's like, you know what? I'm not even going to show up for the last few games. Like, there's no point. And his very sweet friend, Pete, is like, well, I think you're a really good pitcher. And Ryan starts getting real Boston on him. He's like, well, what you think doesn't mean shit. All that matters is getting signed and cashing a big check. And like, it doesn't matter what the fuck you think, Pete. And Alan M., sorry, Augie. Alan M. from Josie and the Pussycats, for, for those who, who know and love it. Uh, love this actor. <laughs> Gabriel, Gabriel Mann. Man. Augie He's is so not cute. having this. Augie is like, no, we matter. We drove to Boston and Framingham to watch you play. We picked you up off the floor when you couldn't even pick yourself up. <laughs> we let you stay with us when you and your old man were at it. We've never missed a game. We matter. It's about having <laughs> pride in what you do, Ryan. That matters. And Ryan's like, you know what? It does matter. I love you guys. Like, you're my best friends. And they hug. It's the a beautiful. power of male friendship right here. It tears you down. It builds you back up. I have a big Dunkin' Donuts coffee here if you want it. I think you deserve it for that performance. <laughs> Thank you. That's all also, I wanted out of this. There's so much Dunkin' in the movie in the background. I love yes. whatever, like, prop assistant had to go and find 400 Dunkins. It's great. Yeah. Like, Dunkin' Donuts absolutely paid for a lot of product yeah dunkin donuts is a sponsor they sent out every day (laughs) yeah and this is the moment that like that it all comes together for me where i'm just like the culture of dunkin is being celebrated in this scene 
um, by Gabriel Mann doing his very best, very thickest Massachusetts accent. He really committed. He did. He's, like, the only one who really committed. Yeah. Freddie Prince Jr., like, goes in and out (laughs) completely. (laughs) Yeah. He sometimes seems to be doing a Southern accent. I don't know. He's confused. (laughs) I get it. It's hard. This is, this movie is, I wrote somewhere in my notes, it it is like 50% Bull Durham and 50% Goodwill Hunting. Oh, yeah. Oh, I wrote Goodwill Hunting meets The Notebook for like oh, the yeah. class divide. Yeah. Yes. But it's not yeah. either of those, unfortunately. Yeah. No, because those, those movies are good. Yeah. <laughs> Compared to this, even The Notebook is great cinema. Um, and so Tenley has decided that she wants to fix things up with Ryan. So she makes amends by putting on a super cropped college tee and cutting his lawn. God, this was truly the era of, like, just, like, flat stomach. You got to show the whole midriff. Yeah. It was like, yeah, flat stomach tyranny. Yeah. During this era. So uh, they make up. She's like, I I told my dad and Chris that I have a new boyfriend now. You're invited to this party tonight. My dad really wants you to come. Everything seems great. They're they're reconciled. But at the party, her father reveals that he has other motives for inviting him. Specifically to be like, if you don't leave Tenley alone, your dad will be fired from lawn mowing forever because you stepped over a boundary. The important boundary between... Someone who mows a lawn and someone else who has a lawn. I love how little effort they made to, like, be subtle about this. He was like, there's a line. You crossed it. Do you understand? There's a class line. (laughs) It can't be crossed. Does everyone understand what I'm saying? And Ryan is like, well, you can take this lawn job and shove it up your ass. And Ryan's dad is like, yeah, you know what? Hell, hell yeah. We have pride, too. Like, you can date whoever you want. I'm bringing Mr. Parrish his final bill because, quote, pride isn't exclusive to you people on Shaw Road, Mr. Parrish. Good day. <laughs> what a man. Big moment for, for Mr. Dunn. And he also, I love, he's like, and here's a referral for another really good landscaper. So best of luck to you and your, <laughs> and your grass and floral borders. Tenley meets Ryan by the field that night and he breaks up with her. He's like, I'm not taking the the landscaping job because you won't let me date Tenley, but I also am not going to date Tenley. He's like, you're going to San Francisco. I'm going to be in some like podunk town playing, you know, pitching for 50 cents a day or whatever. I can't mix you up in my life. And she's, She's not happy about this, but there's about to be a big distraction because the hotshot pitcher has donned some leather pants and he is breaking a teammate and two girls into the new press box building that Chatham is so proud of. Once inside, I can't help but notice that the whole structure is made of extremely dry, unfinished wood, much like a barn, and there are just boxes of newspaper everywhere. <laughs> so what the pitcher does, That's, that's course, what a press box looks like. They're like the press... <laughs> Newspaper. They're like, let's make what else this would be in here? as flammable as possible. <laughs> the pitcher immediately lights an entire pack of matches, drops it onto some old newspapers, <laughs> so and it's like, okay, I'm sure that's fine. Odd. They're like, oh no. And they like try to stamp it out, but then it in fact just like kick it into some newspaper and they're like, yeah, that's close enough. Fine. We don't need to find the match. It'll burn itself out down there in those newspapers. <laughs> 
And they head upstairs to to do it, um, as you do, in a burning building. (laughs) Ryan and Tenley are outside still having their fight about how they both have dreams, but they're both afraid of their dreams because he might not end up in the major leagues. And she can't get student loans for architecture school because she's rich, and so she doesn't understand student loans or how they work, and it's just so hard. And then they realize that four people are trapped in the burning press box, which has rapidly become a towering inferno. And Ryan has to go in and save them. Hero, right? Like, you would think at this point that he gets... Like, that might be a good thing. Yeah, like, he saves some people's lives. But no. He humiliates Tenley's whole family by the fact that they are nearby this burning building. They're near a burning building. And listen, you tell the fire department that it's shameful to be near a burning building. I mean, it's I, I had no idea. They're on the front page of the Cape Cod Times in a story about the fire. And her evil father is like, congratulations, your humiliation of the family is complete. That kid is going to end up back home cutting grass. And Tenley is sobbing very unconvincingly and being like, Ryan is going to do whatever it takes to make it in baseball. <laughs> But he doesn't want me to go with him. I'm going to San Francisco to work for Uncle Richard. Are you happy, Dad? Jessica Biel is not a good actress. I'm sorry. This was egregious. So bad. (laughs) The stuff she's doing with her voice to make it sound like she's really emotional. No human has ever made those noises while actually fighting tears. I will say as a hair model, she did a great job. This might have been, or maybe the next scene, is the zigzag part. I was living. I was very excited about it. She was an icon of, like, the shiny hair era of, like, the late 90s, early aughts. Like, she, it's bouncy, but smooth. She gets I don't know how you somewhere. Get... <laughs> There's a reason they cast her. It's not because she's an incredibly good actress. Uh, this, this scene um, was just, like, a, an exemplar of the whole, like, here's just a grab bag of cliche lines drawn from this general type of story. Um, but meanwhile, Ryan's baseball career is looking up. Whenever I'm getting into the love story, it's just like, and now back to baseball. <laughs> Ryan is going to pitch a big game. <laughs> the star pitcher has been cut because of arson. And so now Ryan is the pitcher for the playoffs. And the- he is the hero after all. Yeah. Also, never missing a moment to be incredibly cliche, they give Brian Dennehy, the coach, this whole monologue that's just a classic, like, angry coach. Like, look at me when I'm talking to you, God damn it! Now get the hell out of my sight, all of you. I'm sick of looking at you. Like, that's exactly the same monologue whenever a coach is angry at anyone in any movie ever. Um, he's mad at the whole team, even though the two people who actually burned down the building are gone. Because um, that is another way that that men are supposed to enforce masculinity. Um, and... So it's a it's a big opportunity for Ryan, but Tenley won't be there. She is going to San Francisco early because she can't stand to be in the same house as her father. She comes to say goodbye to Ryan. One sparkling tear falls down her cheek as she whispers, let yourself be great. <laughs> this is just a woman who cares about her man's baseball career. Yeah. What could be more important than this random man's personal greatness. Yeah. Well, he Nothing. he really cares about her architecture career, so that's, you know, that's love. At the game with words of encouragement from friends, family, scouts, 
Tenley, echoing literally in his head. Oh, my God. They do this thing a few times. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) They're like, this line you just heard. Let's play it again in the distance. With a black and white montage of her swimming in a wet T-shirt. It's inspiring. That is inspiring. You're on the mountain. You're like, remember that time when Tenley swam in that T-shirt? And then another time, she was like... That's how you keep your head in the game. I'm sure that's very distracting for him. He's not going to pitch. Apparently not. Apparently he just needs to get in that kind of like sexual slash sporting flow that's all like a continuum of physicality because he pitches the game of his life. And when Tenley shows up to say goodbye to her little sister, who I have not previously mentioned, but her little sister is a huge Chatamaze fan and is at the game. I think her little sister is the best uh, female character oh, yeah. in the whole movie. She's too young to sexualize, so they're like, we'll give her a personality instead. Yeah. And costumes. And, yeah. she. Her whole storyline is that she wants to invent and then perform as the Chatamay's mascot. And so she's tried various, like a clam, <laughs> and she's finally perfected her mascot, something that really gets the crowd going, a rowdy, one-legged fisherwoman named Barb, who <laughs> likes to drink and fight and throw up and pass out in her own vomit. And the crowd is like, yeah, that's us. We love that depiction of us. Yes. <laughs> so her little sister's in the I, crowd. Okay. I also have to point out that Tenley goes to say goodbye to her little sister and is like, what's a no hitter? Like Tenley. It's it's in the name. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you're watching it. Like you can't but some yeah. context clues together and like, it's like guess. when there it's when there are no hits yeah. is what it is um yeah um this was like a one moment that actually seemed accurate to me is that no one wants to say no hitter because it'll jinx it um and so everyone's like whispering like he's, it's a no hitter he's got a no hitter going and then Tenley shows up and is like, a no-hitter? What's that? <laughs> and she does jinx it because Ryan sees her and he sees her leaving. And he's like, it's not worth it to finish my no-hitter. It won't even be in the Boston Globe tomorrow. So I need to go and get that girl because a good woman, that'll last you forever. And he has realized that she is that good woman. He loves her. He summons his whole team up to the mound to tell them that he loves her. And they're all like, that's great. That's amazing. And the coach is like, that's fantastic. I'm so happy for you guys. Were they all He's following like, I gotta this? go. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they were kept pretty separate as storylines throughout, but apparently they're no, all really just invested. Assi- they, look, they've been getting updates. He's like, I gotta go. Probably from Billy Brubaker. Yeah. And so he leaves with just two strikeouts to go and chases her to the airport and pulls up and tells her, I love her. I mean, you. And she's like, I, I love you too. Let's be together. <laughs> Great. Yay. <laughs> they embrace. And he gets a contract for a, uh, Philly's minor league farm team called the Muck Dogs. And I assume she is going to architecture school at Phoenix University so that she can follow him to wherever he's playing baseball. It's it's not important. What's important is that she be by his side while he plays minor league 
baseball. I know. I love that they made this whole thing that was like, no, her career matters too. And he really wants her to follow her dreams. But at the end, her dreams are just like not addressed whatsoever. No, it's just like, uh, I will definitely follow you to whatever like random upstate town this Phillies farm team plays in. Don't worry about me. What matters is you and your dreams, Ryan. Yeah. I love feminism. Yeah. Yeah. It's me too. Yeah, me too. That's what it means to support a woman. You just say, I want you to have your dreams, but then you only prioritize you, the man's yeah. dreams. It's like, I want you to have your dreams, but like, I really can't play minor league baseball next to, you know, whatever school you're doing architecture in. But, you know, so I, I, I guess you're going to be, have to be the one to give up your dreams. It's, it's unfortunate. It's not what I wanted. I really support your dreams, but like, we're going to have to do mine instead. That's <laughs> two months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they love each other. They're going to be together. Love conquers all, specifically the dreams of women. I also just like, there's something, there's something about the line, let's be together, that just sounds like they, a filler line. Like, they put that in, and then they <laughs> neglected to switch out a line that sounded like something a human would actually say in that moment. Like, who says that? Let's be together. Tenley. Tenley says that, It's Claire. not like, I want to be with you, or, like, I want to give up architecture school in order to follow you to various small towns through the farm league. Let's be together. Like, it's just not a thing. But... Everything works out for Ryan. We end up seeing him coming up to the the pitcher's mound for the Phillies. So we know he makes it out of the farm league. And with his very first pitch as a major league pitcher, pitching to Ken Griffey Jr., gives up a home run. And just a rueful smile like, can you believe I'm here? Not striking out Ken Griffey Jr. And uh, that's the end of the movie. It's perhaps the cheekiest part of the movie is that like credit <laughs> sequence. <laughs> uh, Welcome to the big show, Ryan Dunn. Yeah, yeah. What a, what a journey. Yeah, yeah. It is a journey. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to discuss some of the, for lack of a better term, themes of this movie. Can you keep up? I like. If you want to bring coziness into your life, uh, and I mean, who doesn't, <laughs> turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially right now, because the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite Lux home blanket. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Dressing head-to-toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort, as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. And their products make the perfect gifts, too. I would certainly love to be given something from Barefoot Dreams. I just acquired the robe, and it is, like, the softest robe I have ever put on my body. It's so cozy. It's so warm. It's beautiful. It has a nice drape and weight to it. I wear it whenever I have the opportunity. I just want to wear it constantly. And I think everyone should have that kind of comfort and coziness in their lives. For Love to See It with Emma and Claire listeners, you can get 15% off of your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code LTSI15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. 
one in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list, as they should, because it's very important. If that's you, then make this year the year you finally check it off your list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Wow, that is really fast. Their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning link... Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. I personally used Babbel before I headed off to Paris for three weeks, and it was so helpful just kind of giving me back the basic understanding of French, allowing me to interact with people in restaurants, in shops, and, you know, just not make a total fool of myself when in a foreign country. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash LTSI. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash LTSI. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash LTSI. Rules and restrictions may apply. And we are back. I want to begin by talking about what a fucking genre mashup this movie is. Like, this movie... You know, we're talking about romantic movies, and I do think it is attempting to be a rom-com. But it is also attempting to be a teen sex comedy, Mm. an inspiring sports film, a family drama. Like, this movie is having an identity crisis. (laughs) I found a 2001 review of the movie in The Times, um, and I think the writer kind of sums things up nicely— Take the romantic impulse behind F. Scott Fitzgerald's story, Winter Dreams. Add some New England small-town stratification. Add a pinch of lusty Apple Annie's from Bull Durham and some towny preppy animosity from Goodwill Hunting. Then bury the whole thing under a mound of standard-issue parent-child conflicts and enough self-help cliches to drive Polonius to the aquavit barrel at Elsinore. Sprinkle with half-baked characters and a predictably odds-defying outcome. And the result is summer catch. <laughs> what more is there to say? I mean, it is like catering to like the lowest common denominator of like a bunch of different demographics, like in the way that it's trying to make that perfect date night movie. That's like, well, guys like raunchy sex baseball. movies and they also like baseball and women like romance and and character driven family drama. And like, let's just do a really low bottom of the barrel version <laughs> of all those things at the same time. And it just doesn't, you can't do any of those things super well if you're just smashing them all into one bad movie. Correct. On Rotten Tomatoes, this movie has an 8% rating. Who are those eight people, or 8% (laughs) reviews is my question. The only other movie I've seen that had a rating that low was the movie of whatever book Stephanie Meyer did after Twilight (laughs) on a different planet. Um, And that was almost better than this. Yeah, it's just, like, hard to imagine watching this and being like, this deserves overall a positive review, um, even if there are points you might have enjoyed. I mean, let's talk a little bit about the the romance, since this is 
we are here to talk about romance. Um, and there is technically a, a, a central love story. Tenley and Ryan. What did we like about them as romantic leads and about this movie's pairing of the two, if anything? <laughs> I mean, I have a soft spot for Freddie Prince Jr. as a romantic lead because She's All That was so formative to my, like, burgeoning, I think, like, sexuality as a, <laughs> as a teen and tween. He was just, like, the ultimate, like, cute, popular guy who had a sweet side. He's the unthre- the classic, like, unthreatening but handsome jock. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I liked his performance in the sense that it was entertaining, not that I thought he did a good job, and I felt the same way about Jessica's character, but together... There was no romance. Yeah, they're just like, there's romance. There's romance. They're in love. It's there's fine. No you chemist- just, we're telling yeah. you. We're telling you they're in yeah. love. Yeah, you kiss. You you say, I like architecture. And like, well, I like baseball. And there's no chemistry. I mean, they're really just the epitome of the thing we've talked about before, which is like, they're just two hot people. And they're like the hottest people of their respective uh, sexes or genders in the movie so they're gonna be together they're just in love like she's the highest status woman and he's the highest status man in terms of hotness so they're in love now <laughs> why wouldn't they love each other um yeah their chemistry is just like compared to like a hallmark movie like maybe a little bit better than that where often you're just like are these two characters even supposed to be into each other <laughs> is how i often feel when i'm watching a hallmark movie theirs is like a notch better than that um, lots of kissing, you know, that's something. Always like that. That's that teen sex com factor, too, that they're, they're, they're throwing in there. Um, way too much baseball. There's not enough room for, for the romantic arc to develop. This is a rom-com that was made by men, and it really shows. It is so obvious that, like, everyone involved in this was a man. It was written by a man, directed by a man. I'm pretty sure produced by men. Like, it is so glaringly obvious. Yeah. They were like, women will just show up. Like, that is yeah. if, that is really how women were treated as, like, frequent moviegoers. Just like, well, this is what we're giving them. So, like, they'll show up and they'll pay for it. And, like, that'll be that. Yeah. I don't know. What tipped you off about that? Was that, like, the cucumber sex jokes? Oh, my milk? God. Or was that, I mean, I just don't know. I'm a little confused. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. You're like, what would indicate that this was, um... Created by men, we can say. have to talk about that. I think I put that lower in the notes, but Emma, let's let's jump down. The women, the depiction of women in this movie is bananas, wild. Um, the movie has lots of women in it. It doesn't even come close to passing the Bechdel test. Like no. they are only talking to or about men, and they rarely talk to each other. <laughs> like, they only talk to, like, Ryan or another baseball player. And they're all... Or their fathers. Or their fathers. And their fathers are just, like, in charge of their love lives. Or their brothers, um, in the case of Dee <laughs> and Audie. I guess I guess Jessica Beale's character, like, Tenley does talk to her sister occasionally, but, like, only briefly. And about Ryan. And barely. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's Ryan? We're gonna go get ice cream. <laughs> you know, that's what they talk about. Um, and they're all caricatures. Like, yeah, Tenley is, like, this, the wealthy princess, smooth hair, clean classic style. There's, like, the working class, like, sexy, good-time girl. 
which is DD, of course. There are a ton of like silent girlfriends and dates that are just they're just present. there. Yeah, like that. F- yeah, yeah. Women are literal props in this movie. It's incredible. Yeah, there will just be like whole conversations happening between the men, and there will just be like three like blank faced women just like sitting there, um, like ready for sex. <laughs> In a burning building or, like, in a bar. Um, Oh, and yes, then, of course, there are the moms who are either dead or, like, sexual predators. And, of course, mom has the weirdest fucking energy. Yeah, what is going on with Tenley's mom? It's like they had a living mom who was part of the movie, and they were like, we can't kill another mom, you, but, like, what are moms like? You look great, Ryan. <laughs> you look so good, Ryan. Like, what? And then, like, it's seductively not even a part of the plot. strawberry. Yeah, she's just, like, vaguely predatory. It is so weird. It's bizarre. They genuinely don't know what to do with a mom who isn't dead. They're like, I bet they just, like, creep on hot dudes. And we haven't talked about this, but this is a running plot throughout the movie. There is a... Shortstop, I think, who is um, from a, he's like Latinx, he's he's from another country, played by Wilmer Valderrama. Valderrama. Yeah, played by Wilmer Valderrama. And his character is that he is like very shy, sexually inexperienced, but he has been put up in a house uh, hosted by a quote-unquote host mom who just wants to have sex with him and is really aggressive about it. And there are, throughout the scene, all the, uh, throughout the movie, all these scenes of her, like, opening the door and you see her long, painted nails around the door and she's like, I know you're not asleep. I have something for you. Come here. I want to talk to you. Don't pretend to be asleep. All right. I'll see you tomorrow. And he's just, like, quivering beneath his blankets in terror. Meanwhile, the other players are like, she's hot and she wants your D, so go have have sex with her her. right now. Like, what's wrong with you? They're like, we all did. (laughs) They all seem to be, like, cycling through. Is that considered progressive in 2001 to be like, look, like, women like sex, too. It's not just men. I, I don't know if it was considered progressive. I think it was considered funny. Right? Like, look at this horny older woman. Definitely played for comedy. And there was just the assumption that, like, men couldn't really be preyed upon because they always wanted sex. It's like men are always sexually available because that's what they want. So an older woman, that's just comedy. Right. It's funny that she wants sex. It's funny that Wilmer Valderrama's character thinks he doesn't want sex when clearly it's the best thing for him. It would be a tonic to his masculinity. And it turns out to be, we don't see her until the end of the movie, um, Beverly D'Angelo portraying a very, like, lingerie-clad, sexy older woman who is like a spoof on Susan Sarandon's character from Bull Durham, which is much more, handled with much more nuance. She's like a hot, mature baseball fan who seduces young players and in so doing also like coaches them on the great game of baseball. She's like, baseball is a game of legend and lore. I'm just another legend. I can help you with your baseball career. And that's when she whips out the produce, the produce basket, the grapes, the cucumber, the whole of which apparently disappears during the course of their evening together. Guys, I need you to know that in her filmography, this character is named 
lusty house mother. Jesus Christ. <laughs> no name. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's uh. it's pretty grotesque. Um, it really like it's like they looked at the Susan Sarandon character from Bull Durham and they were like, "This is ridiculous." Like she likes sex. She thinks she knows anything about baseball. Like what a what a joke. And then the whole like Wilmer Valderrama's whole plot is is just slowly succumbing, like overcoming his fear of being sexually preyed on by this woman in order to begrudgingly consent to sex with her after, you know, months of living in her house and being subject to her unwanted advances. So the other really, like, shocking and horrifying romantic B-plot of the movie is Miles and Marjorie which is just the most fatphobic thread that is played both for comedy and sort of for romance in a very perverted way. Um, I mean, let's just say the whole movie is incredibly fatphobic. Yeah, and it is... Something that really struck me is that, like, you know, I did see this movie in theaters. I remember thinking it was bad. I don't even know that this subplot, like, registered for me because this was the kind of attitude that was so omnipresent in media during the early aughts. And I think I texted you, Claire, and I was like, holy fuck, I can't believe this is what we grew up being exposed to constantly. Like, it, it is so so wild and so intense and so didactic in in its view that women of size are disgusting. Fatness is disgusting. Fatness should not be desired. If it is desired, that's hilarious. And if it is desired, then that's, like, brave on the part of that romantic partner. And, like, it is just relentless. Yeah. What was it like, Hannah, like, watching this for the first time in 2022? (laughs) It was very deeply uncomfortable. Um, They held the reveal of Marjorie's character. I mean, they talk about her, of course, like, throughout. But the first time you really see her, I was like, oh, like, she is really not as big as they make her out to be. And, you know, if you're just listening to how they talk about her. Um, And it was just really upsetting. And I can only imagine, you know, how many people are watching this and just feeling like, like they just don't matter and they're completely written off. And she, yeah, it just made me really sad to watch the whole thing. Yeah. yeah the compulsory thinness is so intense. This happened and it feels in worth- Greece too, that yeah. like they, they make a much of the like fatness of someone who is mid straight size. Mid, yeah. Like mid size, like someone who is not super fat. And like, it's, it's not that it would be okay if it was otherwise, but it's just like, just another reminder of how, like, how pervasive and and egregious and and right the um the pressure to be super thin is and and was at the time. Yeah, it's an indication of the intensity of it, and I I felt like it made sense that this movie came out the same year as Shallow Hal, which is like an entire romantic film just built on the idea that it is absurd and if so, like, brave for a mediocre-looking man to desire a larger woman. 
And I was like, oh yeah, this was exactly kind of the the breeding ground for that kind of thought. And it's yeah. just, it's so disturbing. Yeah. It's there's like fun though. There's a reality show that comes out this year, I think. And it's basically, you know, men who are straight sized who are dating plus size women. And that's the whole, that's the whole show. It's a reality show following these couples, like three of them. And they're just played for shock value for comedy. And that's, yeah. I mean, 20 years later, here we are doing the same thing. Yeah. Oh, it's still it's very not much like anti-fatness has gone away, like gone away at all. But it, I think the way that it is discussed in mainstream media certainly has shifted and changed. And there's been like entire segments of media that have, I think, popped up in order to combat that pervasive anti-fatness. And we just like didn't have any of that in 2001. It, yeah. The, like the, you know, body positivity and like fat activism were were not had not been brought into the mainstream in a, in right. the way that they are now, and and that's so the presence of like mainstream critique of this kind of thing was not as present. I think. I mean, I didn't see. I read a bunch of the reviews for the time. I didn't even see like a mention of this. Yeah. I saw a mention of the fact that women were treated as sex objects, but. Literally not one mention, uh, yeah. which is also true. But, like, <laughs> it was almost like mainstream reviewers and critics didn't even have – weren't even looking yeah. for this. It didn't even make, like, a dent. And, like, it, the way that it's depicted also felt very much like uh, – uh, it was just woven into how the ball players like, became bros. So it was, like, sort of a positive depiction of this kind of – way of talking. It was like, look at all these guys just, like, joking around. They're like, you hooked up with a really fat girl. How, like, sh- embarrassing for you. And even, like, the lead, our lead, Ryan, who is supposed to be, like, a good guy, is really participating and, like, saying really gross shit. And I feel like there isn't yet, like, because there's this lack of critique, there's no sense of, like, oh, we need to have our main character not necessarily participating in this kind of humor. Um, because we want him to look like a good guy. They're like, he can still be a really good guy while he's mocking his friend for, you know, possibly hooking up with a larger woman. And so that, to me, felt like something that was a little bit different from how we might see it portrayed now. And, like, even Miles, the guy who is attracted to fat women and who is pursuing this woman, Marjorie, the way that their relationship is portrayed is so dehumanizing. You know, we see them together. Ugh. He's reading her a love poem that is just all about how much he loves how large and in charge she is and how, like, big she is. And he just is obsessed with that. And she like doesn't really speak. Right. Like, she doesn't really speak. And everything he says is fetishizing. She has no personality. We don't know yeah. anything about her. Not, like, literally one single thing. Yeah. And then he ultimately makes a speech in front of the guys when they're ribbing him again. That's like, I love fat women and big girls need love too. That's just who I am. This is sort of portrayed as brave. He gets applause. But like, he doesn't mention Marjorie. Like, she is not specifically being stood up for. It's just like his, like, his general interest in fatness as a quality, which again is, feels very fetishizing. Um, It's, the whole way it's handled from front to back is like every choice that was made was was bad and harmful. 
Um, yeah. Mostly it's just, like, shouldn't thin men who want to date fat women get to just do that and not be made fun of? And it's like, wow, what a bold statement we're making <laughs> for Again, the, the human the deep rights. Again, yeah. of, of this movie. Yeah. Oh, God. So... Before we let you go, Hannah, any any final thoughts, anything you, you want to say that we didn't get to discuss? Um, a lot of clock clips in this movie. That's not as profound as some of the other things we've been discussing, but it did feel very much like I see every girl on the street wearing a tube top and a clock clip, and that's what this movie was. Um, <laughs> full circle on the fashion yeah, full end. Full circle. But I would just love if like the fat phobia and the dehumanization didn't come back. Um, my other like final thought was that this came out August 24th, 2001. And I can just only imagine like, <laughs> it feels like the last relic of that time, you know, mm. before 9-11. And of course there were terrible rom-coms after that, but knowing what was coming just a couple weeks later, watching this almost felt like this very, watching it for the first time now felt like this very like uneasy ticking time bomb. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I didn't even think about that, but that is such a good point. Yeah. A different era. Uh, Hannah, thank you so much for joining us for for this episode. Um, can you tell uh, listeners where they can find you? Yes, I'm on Instagram at Hannah Orens, H-A-N-N-A-H-O-R-E-N-S. Um, thank you to you for bringing Summer Catch into my life. I feel enriched. <laughs> I mean, we're sorry. We're really sorry. <laughs> I learned. I mean, it wasn't all good, but I learned a lot. <laughs> And now it's time for love to see it, hate to see it for this this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I normally say like this gem of a movie. And like, I can't even yeah, convincingly this, joke about that. This film that exists. It is factually a movie, and I think yeah. we can all agree on that. Um, let's start with love to see it. Pretty um, unusual list in terms of the things we love to see. It's mostly <laughs> actors, just as people that we like to see. Uh, Jessica Biel's hair, I really enjoyed seeing. It's really silky. It was we like also, a blast from the past, I mean, too. It just made me think of those like early aughts shampoo commercials. Yes, because now you would see those like effortless waves. Yeah. But that was not happening in that it era. It was just like... In the the style of its time. Yeah, yeah, you don't see it anymore. Also, we love to see Brittany Murphy and Gabriel Mann. We just yeah. like them as actors and humans. Yeah. I think after Josie and the Pussycats, Gabriel Mann should have been the romantic lead in like every teen movie. Um, I agree. I personally loved him as a side character in the show Revenge um, as well. Mm-hmm. I just, I love him. And always, always a joy to see Brittany Murphy in her element as a comic genius. Uh, we love to see young Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> I just, I have a soft spot for him. He was adorable. I Even like, during a bad performance. I feel like I, like, wasn't in sync with my peers, um, like, movie star crushes as a kid. Like, I wasn't into Leonardo DiCaprio. I wasn't into Freddie Prince Jr. I find him more appealing as an adult, almost. Like, there's a nostalgia factor now to him and the type of character he And the he fact played. that he's, like, still with Sarah Michelle Gellar. Like, I good love. for them, honestly. Uh, one thing I liked about this movie that was actually part of the movie um, and not just the faces of actors I like was that one scene 
where they have the romantic obstacle and Jessica, be, I'm sorry, when Tenley says, I just want to do nothing for the summer. And Ryan says, and I'm the nothing you picked. And Ew. I just really felt that was like a classic teen rom-com style scene that like scratched that itch for me in a way that basically none of the rest of the movie did. It hit. It hit. Yeah. I get it. Now it's time for uh, Hate to See It, which is a wider ranging list. It's just like entire categories <laughs> of things in this film. As we discussed, all of the anti-fatness, the the virulent fat phobia present. Yeah, the way that it's just treated as like a, a cool way for guys to bond by like viciously degrading, cruelly degrading women, fat women. Bodies. Yeah. Oh horrifying like really watching it at points I was like every line has something hateful about fat people in it for like 20 minutes and specifically at a time. fat women yeah definitely um and, and it was brutal like I would really recommend maybe just not watching this movie just for that reason probably like probably don't watch this movie <laughs> Also, hate to see all of the snide homophobic comments, especially about Ryan, like, being near a skirt and how humiliating that is. And also some weird uh, moment where Miles, uh, the the uh, outfielder uh, who's dating Marjorie, makes some comment about how he looks at the other men's butts a lot and he has categorized them because he stands behind them on the field and that's treated as like some like sexually like perverse thing like he's like suspect because he has noticed their butts Uh, just a lot of like very casual um homophobia throughout yeah homophobia transphobia it's just it's gross the whole thing is very gross Also, again, hate to see the complete lack of women characters with any personality or actual character development outside of a literal child who is the only one having a good time and having a personality. Childhood is when you get to have a personality as a woman. And then you have to be hot or you're disgusting and men are brave if they date you. Yeah, you can have a personality until you're 15 and then it's time to pick a path, disgusting or sex object. And that's wow, so many good options. Time. Yeah. Uh, hate to see the weird depiction of all the moms, uh, both house moms and literal moms, as sort of sexually threatening and predatory. Um, or dead. Or dead. Like, those are the ways to be a mom. Like, you are sexually preying on young men who should be dating your hot daughter with bouncy hair or you're dead. (laughs) Um, Or you're a house mom, in in which case you are obviously of the sexually predatory nature. Yes, that is is true. Um, Yeah, so as you can see, we've now categorized like 95% of the script into (laughs) hate to see it. Uh, Also hate to see the really um, inept way that a lot of the uh, tropes of teen romance and uh, young love are through the class divide, the the really inept way that they're deployed so that it's hard to really like enjoy those tropes that I often do enjoy because they're done so inartfully. I was going to say tropes exist in a lot of rom-coms or romantic films for a reason because they work as setup, they work as like, you know, plot development. But when they are just like 
thrown in there because you know they signal a genre, it doesn't work. You actually have to do the work to make these characters have, like, some modicum of actual humanity. Yeah. And, like, behave in ways that read as human instead of just, like, an AI robot that saw a bunch of, like, inspiring sports (laughs) films and a couple teen romances and was like, I can write this script. Yeah. Uh, Definitely. Hate to see also how much baseball there was in this movie. Too much, honestly. It should have been a little bit less baseball, a little bit more summer love, in my opinion. Um, And now we're going to give this movie a rating out of no hitters. Um, There were zero in this movie because Ryan nobly gave up his no hitter to chase after Tenley. But I'm going to give it just one more no hitter than that. One out of ten. One One out out of ten. One out of ten no hitters. Just for that one scene that I liked. And Jessica Biel's hair. (laughs) Yeah. That's it for Love to See It with Emma and Claire. Thanks to our wonderful guest, Hannah Orenstein. Love to See It is produced by us, Claire Fallon and Emma Gray and Stitcher. This episode was edited by Tamika Weatherspoon. Our theme music is by Tamar Haviv and our art is by Celine Chang. Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. If you like our show, please remember to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. And also leave us a rating and review. Five stars, of course. And of course, just spread the word about our show to all of your friends. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at clarinemmapod at gmail.com with your questions and voice memos. You can also find us on Twitter and TikTok at Love to See It Pod and Instagram at Claren Emma Pod. And you can find our newsletter, Rich Text, on Substack at clarinemma.substack.com. Tickets for our live show July 10th are on sale at momenthouse.com slash love to see it. Please join us. We would love to have everyone there. We're recapping the premiere episode of Caitlin and Brit's two bachelorette season. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. You can find the two of us also individually on Twitter and Instagram at Emily Rose and at Claire E. Fallon. Join us next week to finish off our summer loving series in style with How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Stitcher.